droogies? <laughs> the evening's the great time, isn't it, Alex Boyd? He's enterprising, aggressive, young, bold, vicious. He'll do. Who on earth could that be? Now it was lovely music that came to my aid. A bit of the old Ludwig van. Welcome, everyone, to another special bonus Patreon-curated episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. I hope you are all well. So what is this? This is where I hand the podcast over to patrons of the show, and they choose the featured songs and introduce them. Last Halloween, we did That Scary Song Got Me High. So for this year, we change it up a little. Uh, This is That Song Slash Music from That Creepy Scene in a Movie Got Me High. And uh, because I know not everyone loves scary movies, I know my wife doesn't really like scary movies, uh, so this could be a song used in a scene in a film, not necessarily a horror movie, um, but just in a scene that, that, uh, a song that heightened the mood, tension, etc., and just made the scene that much more impactful. Uh, As always, the patrons did not disappoint with their picks, they're all wonderfully thought out and creative as usual. Uh, I also included little clips from the films where possible as well. So I, I think this episode is just the perfect amount of creepy and fun for Halloween 2022. Uh, just remember real quick, if you'd like to become a patron of the show and start participating in these super fun episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash TRJMH. And for as little as $2 a month, you too can become a patron. Okay, our longtime patron, Paul Marfleet, starts things off with one of my favorite creepy movies and a scene that, if you've seen this movie, you most certainly will remember. Hi, Rob. Paul Marfleet from the UK here with a creepy song from a movie scene that got me high. I didn't have to think too hard about this one. The Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite films, with a soundtrack that reflects director Jonathan Demme's love of alternative and post-punk music. I almost picked Hit Priest by the Fall, which serves as a backdrop to the scene where FBI agent Chloe Starling finally tracks down and confronts serial killer Buffalo Bill. The standout track for me, though, is Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus, a.k.a. singer Diane Lucky. This is the song that accompanies Buffalo Bill's introduction earlier in the movie, as he films himself getting dressed up and dancing while his latest victim makes a futile attempt to escape her confinement. Goodbye Horses has a moody, dark wave sound that feels oddly contemporary, despite being recorded back in the late 1980s. Although it wasn't the first time Jonathan Demme had used the song on a soundtrack, its inclusion for the Silence of the Lambs feels particularly appropriate, given that its lyrics speak of the narrator's wish to transcend her current state of being. One of the primary motifs in the film is metamorphosis, both in terms of Buffalo Bill's desire to become a woman, and his use of a death's head moth pupa as a calling card for his crimes. It's a happy coincidence that Demi only heard the song after Lucky, while working as a taxi driver in New York, picked him up one evening and played it to him in her cab. 
The inclusion of Goodbye Horses on the Silence of the Lambs soundtrack didn't translate into commercial success for Q Lazarus, and Diane Lucky returned to driving cabs and buses a few years after the film came out. Whilst preparing for the episode, I found out that she sadly passed away a few months ago at the age of 61. Goodbye Horses has however grown in stature over the years by virtue of being covered by various alternative artists. And to my mind, it's hard to think of a better song to choreograph an iconic scene in the film where we first encountered Buffalo Bill. Patron Richard Shelter uh, provided his own uh, background music uh, for his pick, <laughs> which was kind of funny. And it is from a film that most definitely scared the fuck out of me when I was 11 years old and my older sister unwisely took me to see it, giving me nightmares for years after and still scares me to this day. Hello, Rob. It's Richard. I know I'm dating myself with this, but... When I was a kid, in the 70s, after The Exorcist came out, there was nothing creepier on the radio than this song. Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Just listening to it. You get the creeps up and down your spine. Happy Halloween. It was an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. 
But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. Richard, I am indeed forever triggered by those goddamn bells. Uh, all right, and now our friend Corey DeBrowa brings us a film that's definitely that's definitely not in the horror genre, but with a scene that's really that's dark in its own way, and a song that perfectly accompanies it. Hey, Rob and fellow patrons, Corey DeBrowa here, uh, coming to you live from San Francisco today. That song from a creepy movie scene that got me high is taken from my favorite Wes Anderson film. It's hard to choose, to be honest, uh, but the Royal Tenenbaums. And the scene is the one in which Luke Wilson's character, the tennis prodigy Richie Tenenbaum, has decided to kill himself and attempts to do so while shaving his beard off in sunglasses in front of a mirror to the tune of the late Elliot Smith song, Needle in the Hay. Uh, a song that is ostensibly about drug addiction, but which weirdly prefigured Smith's own suicide two years later. Uh, It's an incredibly emotional scene that swings from uh, a weighty form of kind of existential sadness to an almost Marx Brothers-style comedic effect in mere minutes. Um, Elliot's similarly emotionally freighted acoustic blues is really the perfect soundtrack to it all. Enjoy. You want to play some word games or do some experiments on me or anything? No. Friend on his arm, he stacked charm around your neck. Strung out a thing, calling some friend, trying to cast some check. He's acting dumb, that's what you come to expect. Heal in the head. Sometimes they 
just get caught in the eye You're pulling him through Needle in the head Needle in the head Needle Thank the you, Corey. And now we have our friend Marsha Potts, who, again, d- didn't pick a horror movie, which is fine, but chose uh, one of two Quentin Tarantino films that are featured in this episode. And as we all know, uh, Mr. Tarantino has a way with pairing the perfect songs to go with some iconic movie moments. Hey, Rob, it's Marsha in Central Florida. And that song from a movie that brought up the intensity anxiety for me is Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time by the Dolphonics which is used in my favorite Tarantino film, Jackie Brown. Now, this song is used in the movie in numerous scenes and primarily used to convey that Max Cherry, played by Robert Forster, has fallen for Jackie Brown, played by Pam Greer, because she is not only stunningly beautiful and stylish, she's still incredibly smart after suffering some dismal setbacks in her life and she's brave enough to put an end to those setbacks even if it comes at great peril the last scene the song is used in involves samuel jackson so to avoid spoiling a 25 year old movie i'll just say he's playing a bad motherfucker like we're used to seeing by now so of course the scene is heightened in its suspense didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time by the Delphonics? They're pretty good. And that is a direct quote from the movie about the Delphonics. I know you like the Delphonics. They're pretty good. great like going through this we're gonna remember all these movies. at least i am i'm remembering all these movies that i love uh and now we have patron Izo Basaras who brings us back into the horror genre with some truly creepy music from a truly creepy film take it away Izo. hey rob this is Izo Basaras from humbert um i love this theme because i love the horror genre and uh again it's difficult because there's so many choices 
but I'm going with the opening scene of The Shining, the Stanley Kubrick movie, which I love so much. Um, the score by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind is uh, amazing. And those opening sounds, when we have those helicopter shots um, and that beautiful landscape with the lake and the mountains and that little VW just making its way to that horrible place, it's just eerie and, and gorgeous like the rest of the movie. A little backstory, I saw this film uh, in 1980, I was 11 years old, and uh, I went with my brother and my cousin Tony and my uncle Andres, who had just arrived from Mariel because my dad had rescued them from the island. And it was the first film uh, that they had seen in America. And of course, it was a great film, and we were all properly scared shitless. So that's my uh, contribution to the show, and I hope everyone has a great Halloween. And thanks, Rob. Solitude and isolation can, of itself, become a problem. Not for me. How about your wife and son? How do you think they'll take to it? They'll love it. Right. Amizo. Thank you so much. Okay. Am I surprised uh, that our next patron, Jeff Greenstein, is a Battlestar uh, Galactica fan? Uh, not really. He has a podcast about cameras, so no, uh, not really surprised. But he's very enthusiastic uh, about it, and his enthusiasm for this series and this scene almost makes me want to check it out. Uh, almost. Uh, so let's hear from Jeff Greenstein. This is Jeff Greenstein. I really wrestled with this assignment, and what I came up with, oh boy, is it a goodie. It's also a massive spoiler for the 2004 remake of Battlestar Galactica, so if you ever plan to watch that series, skip ahead. Quick refresher on Battlestar. The show depicts an ongoing battle between the remnants of the human race and the Cylons, robots created by man which have rapidly evolved to look just like us. Now, throughout the early seasons, we're told the Cylons have deployed sleeper agents throughout the human population, and at the climax of season three, several of our beloved characters begin hearing an insistent drumbeat, a melody which finally brings them together in a chilling scene which forces them to confront their true nature. 
here. They are not human, and the music they're hearing is an activation signal from the Cylon mothership. They are Manchurian candidates, and this is their Queen of Diamonds. And at this climactic moment, when the Cylon signal fully asserts itself, it's not the carrier tones of an alien supercomputer, it's All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan, which prompts a series of staggering questions. When and where does this show take place? The distant future? The distant past? A parallel universe? Is Dylan a Cylon? They sure have a lot of letters in common. Or are the notes of this song as baked into the fabric of reality as A, T, C, and G, the amino acids which make up organic life in our universe, and they're just waiting for Bob Dylan or some robot overlord to uncover them? Here is the Dylan cover by Galactica composer Bear McCreary. What a moment. It's creepy as hell, thought-provoking, and brilliantly deployed. Watch this show, guys. The ship is under attack. We do our jobs. Report to your stations. Report to stations? My name is Saul Tai. I am an officer in the Colonial Fleet. Whatever else I am, whatever else it means, that's the man I want to be. And if I die today, that's the man I'll be. Get that bird in the tube! Get those steps off! Get those steps off! Come on! There must be some way out of here Said the Joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen dig my earth None of them Jeff, uh, always love your contributions. Uh, and now, longtime patron and friend of the show, Tom Laurie, uh, gives us a scene from a movie that I had never heard of, uh, but now, uh, despite his warning, I uh, feel like I might have to check out. Hey, Robin, fellow listeners, Tom Laurie. This one's short and not sweet. The Road, the movie based on the book by Cormac McCarthy, a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Dark, bleak, post apocalyptic, horrible. The song is The Cannibals, the soundtrack's done by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Don't enjoy. You a doctor. Not anything. You got a hurt man. It'd be worth your while. 
You look at him again, I'll shoot you in the head. That boy looks hungry. Why don't y'all come on in the truck? Get you something to eat. Ain't no need to be such a hard ass. You don't have anything to eat. Come on. Let's go. I ain't going nowhere. You think I won't kill you? You know what I think? I think you're chicken shit. You never kept a man in your life. Um, you know, in the past, if, if someone told me a movie was uh, disturbing and tough to watch, I'd, I'd be all over it. I'd immediately want to see it. But lately, I don't know. Lately, I kind of shy away from that stuff. Uh, it, like everyone's telling me how disturbing and hard to watch that new uh, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, series is. And honestly, uh, it's making me not want to watch it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old. Uh, but I, I feel I feel like real life these days is uh, disturbing enough. Uh, so do I really want to seek out things that are uh, disturbing? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, speaking of disturbing, here's Russell Mofsky, uh with a truly disturbing film. That's also a great film and some of the heaviest music ever played on this show, I think. Hey, what's up? This is Russell Mofsky, and I'm here to talk about some music from that creepy scene in a movie that got me high. I want to be honest. The first thing I thought of was Mr. Sandman, which... Had a little appearance in Halloween. But then the second thing I thought of, I think, was more significant, which was all the Slayer that I heard in the 1986 film River's Edge, a classic film. And the songs in particular that did it for me was Die by the Sword and Captor of Sin by Slayer. So have a happy Halloween. Everybody be good. So what's going to happen? Put another quarter in this machine and murder it. No, no, with John and all. Nothing's gonna happen. I'm gonna tie up a few loose ends tonight, and uh, nothing's gonna happen. That's it. He murders Jamie, and we just ignore it. <laughs> he had his reasons. She was shooting her mouth off about his mom. His mother's dead. Yeah. See. <laughs> 
Russell. Uh, as many of you may know, Russell is the leader of the Surf Lounge Noir band, Goldust Lounge, and he's also a jazz aficionado, but deep down, he's really a metalhead, uh, for sure. Uh, and now we have patron Brooke Dorsch uh, with an iconic David Lynch film and scene. Hi, Rob, and that record got me high, listeners. This is Brooke Dorsch from Asheville, North Carolina. The scene is a weird apartment. Dennis Hopper comes over to Dean Stockwell and says, candy-colored clown they call the Sandman. And the song In Dreams starts. Dean Stockwell is singing it. The movie is Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper is a really menacing character. It's a very surreal scene for the character that is about to see the things happening and this dreamlike song starts with a spotlight on that's being held as a microphone by Dean Stockwell. The scene is always for me just the intro to the most intense portion of the movie when our main character is getting menaced by Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper. Anyway, Roy Orbison never sounded so strange to me until that song, In Dreams, from Blue Velvet. Thank you. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken! Fuck that shit! Pabst Blue Ribbon! A candy-colored clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep Everything is alright I close my eyes Then I drift Beautiful and unsettling, right? All right, now we have Todd Bauck uh, with our second Quentin Tarantino film and a scene that perfectly illustrates how the way you hear a song can forever be changed by its use in a movie, I think. Hey, this is Todd Bauck from Portland, Oregon. I was stoked to see the teaser for this curated episode. It seemed Halloween-themed. We have 800-plus trick-or-treaters each year and a four-hour-long playlist to make it through the night. I instantly thought I knew my choice. And then the criteria was unveiled as a song in a movie. Cool. I still have three hours and 55 minutes worth of a playlist to choose from. 
I don't really like scary movies, so my pick isn't from a scary movie. It's actually from a movie that I remember very little of, other than the utter basics. But I'll never forget that scene. You got cowboy boots, a radio, duct tape in a chair, a victim, a razor blade, a black suit, and Mr. Blonde dancing too, stuck in the middle with you by the Steelers' wheel. You gotta know the scene. Remember that ear? Quentin Tarantino said he had the song picked out before he had the actors picked out. Ever since seeing that movie, that song will still make me squirm a little. Peace. You ever listen to Kay Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? It's my personal favorite. Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty were a duo known as Steelers Wheel when they recorded this Dylan-esque pop bubblegum favorite from April of 1974. That reached up to number five as K. Billy Super Sounds of the 70s continued. Okay, here's our old pal Todd Nolan uh, with another not horror pick, but nonetheless a scene that definitely ratchets up the tensions and a surprising song that helps it along. Hey there, creeps. It's Todd Nolan from Nashville, Tennessee. Lunging at you like a homicidal maniac with my bloody pick for the song from a creepy scene in a movie that got me high. Being a big fan of horror and thriller movies, I could have gone down a spiraling rabbit hole of despair on coming up with what would be the perfectly suspenseful musical moment, but instead, I shot straight from the hip, and within seconds of hearing this premise, I decided to go with the scene that for years I have described as the most perfectly tense moment captured on film ever. Big claim, huh? Well, that's because I'm talking about Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl from Paul Thomas Anderson's 1997 film Boogie Nights. Mark Marky Mark Wahlberg plays Dirk Diggler, the washed-up porn star with a big coke habit and even bigger limp dick to match. John C. Riley plays Reed Rothschild, Dirk's co-star and co-coke buddy. And Thomas Jane plays Todd Parker, the swaggeringly cool hustler, an obvious mo to these three stooges. Now, technically, this scene has three featured songs, beginning with Night Ranger's Sister Christian, as our three amigos are preparing to rob a drug dealer played by Alfred Molina, 
by selling him a half kilo of baking soda. But let's just fast forward a couple of minutes into that scene, past to what is already becoming a tense situation involving Molina laughingly playing Russian roulette up to where his mixtape hits track number two. Jesse's girl comes on the stereo where our would-be robbers are sitting center stage on a couch. At a nearby table sits a very big dude with a gun weighing out the fake Coke. A skinny Asian kid is randomly setting off firecrackers one by one in the room, and Alfred Molina, wearing nothing but an open silk robe, exposing his bikini briefs, chest hair, and a gold chain, takes a weirdly calming hit off his free bass pipe and begins to dance and sing along to Rick Springfield. Apparently, Molina had never even heard the song before rehearsing the scene, but it probably only adds to his slightly misheard lyrics. At this point in the film, John C. Riley's character quietly pleads with Wahlberg that they get the fuck out of there. And then for the next 50 seconds, the camera holds tight on Wahlberg's face. You see him go through a wide variety of emotions, from fear, to acceptance, to desire, to depression, and ending on a weird mix of fear and resignation. You as a viewer are on that couch with them, and you are in that room with all those emotions and every form of anxiety. It is as tense as it gets, and Jesse's girl only adds to the sensation. I've never been a Rick Springfield fan, but I also don't dislike him at all. Jesse's Girl was a career-changing number one hit for Springfield back in 81 from his Working Class Dog album. The story behind the lyrics were based on how he was taking a stained glass class and he crushed hard on his friend Gary's girlfriend. This yearning resonates in Wahlberg's face, but for him, it's not about sexual desire. He desperately craves this man's money so that he can pay for his studio fees to retrieve what he believed would become his number one song, The Touch. As they attempt to bail, Todd gets greedy and decides to rob Molina of the money in his floor safe. Things go really south at this point. Todd and the bodyguards both die horribly in a shootout, and Dirk and Reed barely escape with their lives to the tune of Nina's 99 Love Balloons, the final song in Molina's Megamix. Music is super important in all Paul Thomas Anderson films, and can truly manipulate how the audience views that song. In the case of Jesse's Girl, he took a pop song from the 80s, added it to one of the most suspenseful moments in film history, and made it even more iconic. So have a seat on the couch with the boys, sit back, Try hard to relax and enjoy Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl. I'll play along with the charade. There doesn't seem to be a reason to change. You know, I feel so dirty when they start talking cute. I want to tell her that I love her, but the point is probably moot. Because she's watching him with those eyes. And she's loving him with that body. I just know it. And he's holding her. Todd, 
Okay, now we have filmmaker Alan Zweig uh, completely uh, bending the rules uh, and bringing us a song from a film that only exists in his head. It, it's a great concept, though, and I'm hoping maybe one day Alan will make the movie that this scene belongs in. Hi, this is Alan from Toronto. Hello, Rob. Hello, this record got me high, listeners. Here is my Patreon contribution in which I would like to bend the rules this time a little bit. Back in the 90s, myself and some other record collectors I was in touch with, we became obsessed with a group called The Free Design, a group that had made music in the late 60s and early 70s. A group whose music was so light and frothy and sugary and saccharine sweet, it could make your teeth ache, but it featured amazing harmonies that got under our skins after a while. Over the years, people have asked me to describe their music, and I always end up describing it this way. Imagine a movie from probably the late 60s, one of those movies made in the sort of reefer madness period that happened around there, where they're warning against the evils of psychedelics and drugs in general. And we see a, ma a young man in a park, a close-up of his face, he's very big, big grin on his face because he's tripping out of his mind. Then we see that he's holding a machete and in slow motion, we see him skipping through the park, joyously in slow motion, lopping off the heads of people in the park. And in spite of that grotesque image, all we hear is the music that is playing in this young man's mind. And that music is... Kites are fun by the free design. our patron Bobby Joe with a great song I've never heard before and which has apparently been used in a whole bunch of different movies and TV shows and one particular video game. I am so excited to share this. I've been waiting a long time to share this song. Um, it's Bobby Joe and um, so I was not expecting to have to 
find like a movie song or a song from a movie, I don't know. But I think I made it work. And in my research, I found out that, um, yeah, it's kind of a good thing to research songs. I don't do it enough. Uh, this song was in, in The Righteous Gemstones and The Andy Warhol Diaries and American Horror Stories. So, yeah, it's a great song. And interestingly enough, in 2008, the the song was featured in um, Grand Theft Auto, like the video game, and the producers thought it was the song was so important that they reached out or they got like a, a private investigator to secure the rights um, because the the guy who had the rights, Sean Deva- Delaney or Delaney, had died. So like, I think it's kind of cool they brought the song back from the grave, like literally, and. Um, that's kind of cool. And I guess this guy, Sean Delaney, also was, I don't want to call him like a founding member of KISS. I don't, I don't know all of that, but apparently worked with KISS a lot in the beginning. So I think you'll hear the influence and it's a great song. So the song is um, Walk the Night by Scappers. Nico, it's Roman. How about we go see a show? Cousin, I am in no mood to be entertained. Another time will be better, perhaps. Sure, cousin. Call me when you have a moment. I had a feeling someone would choose this next film uh, and soundtrack, and our patron Matt Marzullo did not disappoint. Take it away, Matt. Hey, Rob, this is Matt. So when I read the theme for this patron-curated episode, the music that immediately came to mind was the soundtrack to the 1977 Dario Argento classic, Suspiria. This soundtrack was written and performed by the band Goblin and is one of the creepiest ever. 
but one song stands out. It's called Witch, and it features some heavy percussion, mysterious wordless vocal wailing, and some well-timed synths and bass. This song is used in various places in the film. The first time it's used is in one of the early scenes, and it's spectacular. Our soon-to-be victim knows something is going on outside her apartment window. We all know something bad is about to happen, just not what. As this song plays, the tension builds as you keep waiting for that bad thing to happen. And of course it finally does, resulting with the young lady's demise. This scene sets the stage for what's to come in the film, and the music is a big part of it. Check it out. You know, uh, putting together this episode and pulling the clips from the various movies was was fun, but it was also creepy at times. It's extremely creepy. So uh, thanks, everyone, for that. Uh, I was doing it at night, and uh, I got a little creeped out. And now here's Larry De Silvera with our second song from The Silence of the Lambs by a band that could at times be as disturbing as the film in question. Hey, Rob. This is Larry from San Diego, and... The song that I picked for this fantastic theme is Hip Priest by The Fall, which is used in The Silence of the Lambs during this climactic sequence where Jodie Foster's character confronts the serial killer in his basement. And the music that's playing during that scene is, you know, very softly, it's mixed very softly into the scene, is is The Fall's Hip Priest. And as if Marky Smith wasn't scary enough, uh, hearing his, you know, his voice do that little during during that scene uh, gives me the creeps. You know, Thirty plus years later. Anyway, thanks for doing this, Rob. Happy Halloween. I'll be right back. 
Long draft time for the hip priest. I said, drink the long draft time for the hip priest. So those were our patrons, and that was our Halloween episode. What do you think? It was awesome, right? Okay, so those were our patrons, and that was our Halloween episode. Remember, if you'd like to start participating in these episodes or just enjoy the show and don't want to be a freeloader anymore, uh, please consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash trjmh. All right, my pick is from the 2002 British post-apocalyptic horror film 28 Days Later, directed by Danny Boyle. Uh, The film's score was composed by John Murphy, but my pick is a song that was included in the film but is not on the soundtrack album. Uh, It's an edited version of the song East Hastings by the Canadian band Godspeed You Black Emperor. It's used in the opening scene where a bicycle courier Jim awakens from a coma in St. Thomas Hospital and roams the deserted, desolate streets of London. The band uh, allowed Boyle to use the song in the film, but would not give the rights for it to be used on the soundtrack album, which was kind of badass of them, just because that's how they are. But uh, I just remember when I saw this uh, movie, the music perfectly sets the mood uh, as our confused protagonist uh, slowly realizes something horrible has happened, turning the city he knew into a bleak, barren wasteland oh so creepy so great all right thanks again everyone for listening i'm rob elba happy halloween we'll see you again (laughs) 